your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is in the New Testament, sort of in the middle of your New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1. Thank you so much, worship team. Thank you so much, sound crew. Thank you so much to all of our volunteers. Uh, many of them have been here since 7.30 this morning, getting ready for our two services. 7.30 with the you know fast-forward clock. That means 6.30 or 6.15 in the morning. Can we give all of our volunteers, in fact, a big round of applause just to thank them for all of their hard work this morning? Really appreciate them. Praise God. Praise God. You guys look like a church of participants and not spectators this morning. Amen? Amen. You guys look alive. Praise God. We are. And we're excited to get into the Word of God this morning. See, we are doing a series here at Thrive. It's called The God and Me Experience, otherwise known as The Game. Everyone say The Game. And the whole point of the series is looking at one question, which is how do I experience more of God in my life? See, we really believe here at Thrive that you were made to experience God. You were not made to just know God from afar, to know God on an intellectual level or a philosophical level, but that God made you to experience more of him, to experience his hope, his peace, his joy, and his purposes for your life. If you believe that, say amen. And so in this series called The God and Me Experience, we're talking about what are some practical things we can do to experience more of God in our lives. Have you guys been helped and benefited from this series so far? You know, we've had a lot of fun going through this series so far. Last week, I shared a message with you which was talking about going out of your way to meet with God. It's one of the most important messages in this series. I said last week that last week's message was possibly the most important, and I say possibly because today's message is right up there as well. In fact, this series called The God and Me Experience wouldn't be complete without us talking about this very important topic this morning. Today, the message I'm here to share with you is called Experiencing God's Hope After You Have Sinned experiencing God's hope after you have sinned. You know, I think all of us in one way or another can relate to what we're talking about this morning because all of us, the Bible says, have sinned. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have regrets about certain things that we've done. All of us have in some way, shape, or form fallen short of God's best for us. How do you experience God's hope in a situation like that? We're going to talk about that today. Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. We're going to look at that to begin with. How, why don't you help me preach this morning in a big loud voice. Let's read this together. One, two, three. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Keep on going. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. See, in the book of Ephesians, there's a guy called Paul. Everyone say, Paul. Paul, he's a church planter. He goes around different places in the world, you know, sharing about Jesus, planting churches, planting Christian communities. And he's writing to one very dear community in the city of Ephesus. And he writes to them and says in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul keeps on praying to God that his people in this church at Ephesus would experience him more and know him better. Not just know him intellectually, not just know him from afar, but know him personally and experience his love. He goes on to verse 18. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. If you have your Bibles in front of you, I want you to take an, a pen or a highlighter and just underline those few words, the hope to which he has called you or that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Because the fact is this, God made you to experience his hope. 
The hope we have in Jesus is the greatest hope the world could ever experience. It is greater than anything you will ever know. It is a hope that is greater than sin. It is a hope that is greater than your biggest mistakes. It is a hope that is greater than death itself. If you believe that, say amen. And how do you experience more of this hope that the world cannot give? We're going to talk about that today. See, in this series called The God in the Experience, I've been giving you some very practical tips on how to experience more of God in your life. Things that you can do where if you do them, you will experience more of God. I've taught you different exercises. In fact, I've been hearing different people throughout the weeks that we've been doing this God in the Experience series and how they're saying, oh, Pastor JB, I've been doing the stuff you've been talking about and it works. I'm actually experiencing more of God when I do the sit-down exercise that you taught us or the store-up exercise that you taught us, or the hoping exercise that you taught us, or when I go out of my way to meet with God. It's funny, I'm experiencing God in ways that I never did before, and that is a really cool thing. But how many of you guys know this? Is that one of the greatest things about Christianity is that it doesn't just give us hope when we do everything right, but the hope we have in Christianity is one where even when you've completely messed up, you can still have hope. Amen. And see, in fact, that's what makes Christianity unique of all the religions and faiths and philosophies in this world. See, other religions face, they they talk a lot about your performance, what you need to do to, you know, offset your sin, what you need to do to reach heaven. And, And see, here's the thing. The Bible gives us something so different than all the other religions in this world. It's not about what you have to do. It's about what already has been done for you, that you may be at your very worst, but God's love for you can still reach to you because that's the amazing love of God. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That is the love of God. And see, in Christianity, we are given by God a way to experience real hope even after we've made mistakes, even after we've sinned against God. What is that way to hope? God's way for us to experience his hope after we've sinned is something called repentance. Everyone say repentance. We're going to be talking about repentance today. Look at 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Some of you guys even read it this morning already, but read it with me one more time. One, two, three, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. See, today I want to talk about how do you experience God's hope after you've sinned. And we're talking today about the power of repentance. What is repentance? Why is repentance so important? And how do you do it? See, repentance can be a big word. Repentance can be a scary word. But today, as we dig deeper into what repentance actually is, you're going to find that repentance is not actually that scary of a thing. In fact, it is a joyful thing that we get to do to experience more of God in our lives. If you want to understand how God forgives you, then you need to understand something about repentance. Repentance is one of the most powerful things you can do to experience God's hope in your life. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Read it with me in a loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Everyone say repent. Man, you guys are alive today. Praise God. Even without a, you know, an extra hour of sleep, you lost an hour of sleep, but you guys are alive today. Maybe we should just keep on, you know, just like, you know, pushing our, our, our services up one hour every time. What, what, what do you say? Praise God. You guys are doing really well. Everyone say repent. So we're going to look at different versions of, uh, you know, uh, of the Gospels where it talks about repentance. Look at Matthew chapter 4, 17 right now. This is Jesus talking. Why don't you read it with me? One, two, three. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Everyone say repent. 
Look at Mark 1, 15. This is also Jesus talking. What does it say? It says, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. See, what we have is over and over. You have John the Baptist and later Jesus talking about this word, repent. In fact, when Jesus begins his public ministry as a teacher, those are his first words. It's his first sermon. It's repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. What does it mean to repent? See, if you were to look up the word repent in Google or some other popular dictionary, you're going to find something along the lines of this, is that repentance is to feel regretful or to feel remorse about something that you did that was wrong. It's to feel or express sincere regret or remorse about your wrongdoing. But I'm going to tell you this today. When you understand what repentance is in the Bible, you're going to realize something, which is that repentance is not just feeling bad. It's not just having regrets. But repentance is something more. In fact, I'm going to give you a definition today for repentance that might seem kind of long, but we're going to break it down, and you're going to understand really well what repentance is this morning. I invite you to take a picture of it in case you find it long. I'm going to ask you to read it out loud with me as well. One, two, three, it says, to repent means to agree with God that you have sinned, to feel sincerely sorry for your sin, and to turn away from sin and toward Jesus for forgiveness and help. See, to repent isn't just to feel sorry. It's not just to you know, feel bad. It's not just to have regrets, but to repent actually involves three things. Everyone say three things. In fact, I'm going to put it to you this way. When you repent, it involves your head, your heart, and your feet. See, it involves your head, what you're thinking. It involves your heart, what you're feeling. It involves your feet, where you're going. And see, I want to put it to you this way, is that there's these three aspects to repentance. Let's start with the head first. See, when you repent... In your head, in your mind, what you are doing is you are agreeing with God that you have sinned. You are acknowledging that, yes, God, I've done something wrong. Whereas before, you may have thought, I don't do anything wrong, or that was okay, that's not a big deal, it's fine. But when you repent in your mind, in your head, you're changing the way you think about the issue. You're changing your mind on the issue, and you're agreeing with God that, yes, what I did was sin. And in fact, the most common Greek word in the New Testament for the word repent is the word matanaeo, which literally means to think again or to change your mind, or to perceive after. It's because what you're doing is you are realizing in your head that, yes, I acknowledge that I have sinned. But how many of us know that repentance is not just about you changing your mind? It's not just something that happens in your head. It's something that happens in your heart as well. Everyone say, my heart. See, what's the heart aspect of repentance? Write this down. When you repent in your heart, you feel sincerely sorry for your sin. You're saying, I'm not just sorry that I got caught. I'm not just sorry that, uh, you know, people found out. But I'm sincerely sorry for my sin. I'm sorry because I hurt God with my sin. I hurt others with my sin. It is sincere regret. It's feeling sorry. It's the heart. That's the second aspect of repentance. There's a third aspect of repentance. It involves your feet. Is that when you repent, you're not just, you know, thinking, okay, I know I sinned. I acknowledge that. You're not just feeling, oh, I feel bad for that sin. But there's something else that's going on. Is that in your will or in your feet, you're making the decision to say, I'm not going to commit that same sin again. With God's help, I'm not going to go in that direction anymore. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning towards Jesus. That doesn't mean you've cleaned up your act. That doesn't mean that you have it all perfect. That doesn't mean that you have a perfect record. What that simply means is that you're making the decision 
to go in a new direction. You used to go in the way of sin, and now you're like, okay, I'm turning, I'm pointing my feet in a different direction, and I'm now heading in this new way. With God's help, I'm going to live a new life. If you believe that, say amen. And so repentance involves those three aspects. It's your head, it's your heart, it's your feet. It's what you're thinking, it's how you're feeling, and it's the direction that you're intending to go. Why is repentance so crucial to experiencing more of God? Why don't you write this down? It's because repentance is necessary because sin separates us from a holy God. See, God is holy. He is perfect. There's no sin in him at all. He is just. He is completely perfect morally and otherwise. And we are not. We are far from that. And if you want to understand why repentance is so crucial to experiencing more of God, you need to understand how sin affects our relationship with God. See, sin has the effect of separating us from God. Look at Isaiah 59 verse 2 with me right now. It says, but your iniquities, church, are you guys with me right now? All right, all right, why don't you read with me? One, two, three, it says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sometimes I find it helps to read in another translation. Look at, you know, the same verse in the Living Bible translation. Read it with me what it says, but the trouble is that your sins have cut you off from God. Because of sin, he has turned his face away from you and will not listen anymore. What's going on is that sin separates us from God. It cuts us off from God so that we can't go to where God is. God is holy. We are not. God is perfect. We are not. We are full of sin. God has no sin. And because of our sin, we can't be where God is. You know, my son, Bradley, he's five years old. He's in kindergarten right now. And this past week was his turn to do show and tell at his class. And, you know, Bradley's got a really cool heart. He, you know, has this heart that wants to share Jesus with others, to invite people to church. And so you know, we've taken different invitations for some of our events at church to the next door tenants and our, our, our neighbors around and say, hey, we've got a service coming up. We'd love for you to join us. And, you know, that's Bradley wanting to share Jesus with others. You know, sometimes we'll go to his camp counselors during summer camp, and he'll, he'll want to give an invitation to them. And sometimes I'll just kind of let him go because he just, he just really wants to do that. And, you know, sometimes he'll even, he has some imaginary friends as well, and sometimes he'll try to lead those imaginary friends to Jesus. Like, he's a big Super Mario fan, and so recently Bowser uh, got to know Jesus as well. Uh, that was in his conversation with Bowser. And, and just, he's got a big heart for Jesus. And, and this is the thing. This past, sun, this past Sunday, he said, you know, for show and tell, Daddy, Mommy, I want to share Jesus with my class. And we're like, really? He's like, yes. And so we're like, okay. Okay, we'll do it. And so you know what he did? Is he gave a presentation on God's love and the love we have in Jesus to his class. And do you know how he did it? Okay. Uh, I'm not going to ask him to do it, uh, but I'll do it for him really quick. I'm going to ask my, uh, my friend Kelvin to come up right now. Let's give Kelvin a big hand. Okay. 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 Th th this is not uh, Bradley. Okay. But this is Kelvin. Okay. Okay. In case you're wondering. All right. Kelvin's a good looking guy. Uh, and uh, we're, praise God, we're brothers in the faith. Uh, and what we're going to do is this, is uh, I want to show you, this is the actual diagram that Bradley used uh, in his show and tell presentation. You've got, you know, us on one side, on one side of the cliff. You've got God on the other side of the cliff. And in between us and God is this 
gap. Now, it doesn't, may not look like a huge gap on this picture, but in reality, it is a huge gap. It is an infinite gap that you cannot cross no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, no matter how much good you try to do or how good you think you are. You can never get to the other side by your own effort. It is an infinite gap that our sin has created between us and God. Your sins have separated you from God. But see, because God did not want to remain apart from us, because God didn't want to be separated from us, because he loves us and wants a relationship with you, what God did is he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to live the life that no one else could live, a life that only God in the flesh could live, a life that met all of God's requirements. And Jesus not only lived that life, but he also died on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins. And the Bible says that if we would put our trust in Jesus, if we would repent of our sin, if we would trust in Jesus, that Jesus' blood covers our sin and we are forgiven. And that sin no longer separates us from God. How many of you guys know that Jesus not only died on the cross, but he also rose again from the grave? Amen? And so, you know, when we are with Jesus this way, we are able to have a relationship with him, it begins and ends with the love of God. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Give God a big shout in this place as well. Come on. This is the love of God. Thank you so much, Kelvin. This is the love of God. That when we, we were separated from God because of our sin, God still found a way to reach us. When we had no way of reaching him, God was reaching for us. That was the diagram that my son Bradley showed. And uh, it goes to show that the gospel is beautiful and simple enough that a child can understand it and share it. Amen. 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 Praise God. And, and here's the thing is that, you know, the, 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 that's the beautiful thing about Christianity. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel, that it is simple and beautiful enough that you can be three years old and understand it. And you, it's, and, but it is deep and, and rich enough that you can spend your whole life trying to understand the mystery of the love of God and, 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 what, and what we found in Jesus. And you will never be able to touch the bottom of that pool. It's because the, the, this God who loves us is an amazing God. Amen. Amen. But see, that's what we're talking about today. See, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The punishment, the wages, the punishment that we deserve for our sin was death. Not just physical death, but separation from God. But because God loved us, he sent Jesus Christ for us, and he gave us a gift, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do you receive that gift? Well, the way you receive that gift is through something called repentance. Why don't you write this down? Repentance unlocks God's gift of forgiveness. You see, sometimes from time to time, we will have, you know, different people from UPS or Purolator or, you know, Canada Post who will come to our doorstep at our house and drop off packages for us. Sometimes they'll knock on the door, and, you know, if I'm home, sometimes I'm inclined to open it, sometimes I'm not, but they just kind of, hello, anyone there? You know, they'll, they'll ring the doorbell, and, and sometimes they'll just leave the package there. And see, it, it's not enough for me to have the package outside. Of course, if it's going to benefit me at all, I need to open the door take that package and bring it into my house. How many of you guys know that God's forgiveness works the same way? God's forgiveness is a heaven-sent package for you. It is free. And the way that you open up that gift, the way that you receive it is you open the door of your heart, you repent, you admit, yes, I am a sinner who needs a savior. That savior is Jesus. I receive that gift into my life and then I can benefit from that gift. Does that make sense to you? Say amen. And see, that's what you do. Your, your repentance doesn't 
earn you salvation, but it unlocks salvation. Your repentance doesn't earn you forgiveness, but it unlocks God's forgiveness in your life. When you repent, you're basically saying, I need the Savior. His name is Jesus. I need the gift of his forgiveness. Our repentance and God's forgiveness, they go hand in hand. Why don't you look at Acts 3.19 with me right now. Acts 3.19 says, read in a loud voice, one, two, three, it says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, the great delusion of our generation is that we think, oh yeah, we're, we're all good people. We're all worthy. We're all going to heaven. Doesn't matter what you've done. Yet very often those same people, they're like, yeah, I'm a good person, but that person, that's a bad person. That person's not going to heaven. That person's going to hell. And it's this very feelings-based, judgment-based theology on on where we're going to go, if we're going to go to heaven or not. Oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. We're all pretty good people. We're all going to heaven, unless you're Hitler. Or unless you're Charles Manson, or unless you're, you know, Dr. Nasser, you know, unless you're a serial rapist, oh, then maybe not, but then otherwise we're going to heaven. But the Bible doesn't, it, the Bible's so much clearer than that. The Bible says, it plain and simple, is that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. We all don't deserve heaven, and we all need a Savior. If you believe that, say amen. And the way we receive the gift of God's forgiveness is through repentance. Have you received the gift of God's forgiveness? Have you received the gift of eternal life that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? If you haven't, then I believe the most important decision that you will ever make in life is to open up the door to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. Come and be my Savior. See, repentance was never meant to be a one-time event, but repentance was always meant to be an ongoing habit in your relationship with Jesus. See, repentance is not just something that I do at the very beginning so that Jesus and his forgiveness can come into my life, but actually repentance is something that we do in our ongoing relationship with Jesus. And the reason why we repent is not because we want to be saved all over again. It's not because we need God to forgive us as if he's never forgiven us before, but it's so that you and I can have a healthy, emotional relationship with God. Does that make sense? Let me, let me explain it a little bit more. So you might be like, well, JB, I don't understand. Because, you know, I thought when I received Jesus, I thought all my sins, past, present, future, all of them, weren't they forgiven at the cross where Jesus died? Yes, they were. Didn't Jesus come into my life and be my Savior and now he lives in me? Yes, he did. And yes, he does. So what, why do I need to repent? If, if, I, if I sin now after becoming a Christian, God doesn't see my sin anymore. Why do I need to bother repenting? Let me explain it this, to you this way. You know, Pastor Charlene and I, we've been married now for almost 15 years. And uh, these 15 years of marriage uh, have been an amazing 15 years of marriage. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pastor Charlene says amen. Praise God. Praise God. And, and, and here's the thing is, you know, we, when we first began to date, you know, even to that point when we were engaged, during that time we had no legal relationship with one another. We were just boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, that's just something we say, but no legal relationship to one another. It was when we got married and we said, I do, that all of a sudden we became from people who are not related, we became husband and wife. We became legally related to one another. And how do you guys know this? Over the past 15 years of marriage, whenever there was a time when I sinned against Shar or hurt Shar or sinned against her, did that change the legal relationship we have? No, of course not. So, you know, it's, it's silly, but, you know, say, say, for some, for, say if, I, if I lied to Shar, does that change the fact that we are legally husband and wife? No, 
Of course not. If I lied 500 times, does that change the fact that legally we are related to one another as husband and wife? It does not change it one bit. We are still husband and wife. But if I lie to Charlene once, or if I lie to Charlene 500 times, does it change the emotional relationship between us? Of course it does. It does. The atmosphere in our home and our relationship is going to change. There's going to be this emotional distance between the two of us where we have a tougher time getting close to each other, tougher time being intimate with one another. Our hearts will be a little harder toward one another and to the point where it is tough to have much of a real emotional relationship with one another, though we are legally married, though we are legally related to one another. All until that moment or that day when I go to Shar and I repent and I say, Shar, I was wrong. What I did was sin. And I feel awful for it, and I don't want to ever do that to you again. Amen. That is called repentance. In my head, I'm like, yes, what I did was wrong. In my heart, I'm like, Shar, I feel awful. And with my feet, I'm saying, I'm not going to do that to you again. I'm committed to being good to you and not doing that to you anymore. That is repentance. And then our emotional relationship goes back to a healthier place. In the very same way, your relationship with God has a legal level and an emotional level. See, when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, you went from being someone who had no legal relationship with God to someone who is now an adopted child in his family. You went from someone with no legal relationship to a member of God's kingdom. You went from someone who was a sinner to someone who is a saint. You went from someone who was a foreigner to a citizen of God's kingdom. You went from someone who was guilty to someone whom God commands and declares is blameless. You went from someone who was unrighteous to someone who was righteous. Someone who was not holy and not acceptable to him. All of a sudden, by the blood of Jesus, because you trusted Jesus, now you are acceptable and pleasing in God's sight. If you believe that, say amen. Don't just say amen. Give God a big hand in this place because he's, that's what he did for you and for me. It's all because of his love. That was what happened. Your legal relationship with him changed and you went from someone who you know, did not have God's promises and did not have God's presence to someone who now has God's promises and has God's presence. It's because now you have a legal relationship with God. You are his adopted child and heavenly father, that is your heavenly father. And you went from a person who was destined for hell to a citizen of heaven. Your legal status changed. You now have a legal relationship with God. And let me ask you this. Say one day you lie. Or say one day you sin by looking at something you shouldn't have looked at. Or, or, or saying some unkind words. Does that sin change your legal relationship with God? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. God has already taken care of that sin on the cross. Your legal relationship with God is firm. It's established. You can't change it. But see, when you as a Christian sin, does it change the emotional relationship with God? I'm here to tell you, yes, it does. Is that all of a sudden, when you sin, you still have a relationship with God. You're still a child of God. But all of a sudden, the emotions between you are a little bit different. All of a sudden, it's a little bit more difficult to get close to God. All of a sudden, you carry this burden of guilt and shame because of that lie that you told or because of that thing that you did or because of that hurtful word that you said, and you you start to lose confidence in God's presence. All of a sudden, your heart, because you sinned, gets a little bit colder and a little more distant from God emotionally. All of a sudden, that peace and that joy that you once had, all of a sudden, it's a little bit weaker than it used to be, all until the day that you repent and you go 
to God and say, God, what I did was wrong. I admit, I confess that I did that. I confess it was wrong. I feel awful about it, and I don't want to do that again, and I won't with your help. And see, what is that? That is repentance. And when you come back to God by repenting that way, you, in many ways, you are dealing with the emotional relationship you have with God. If you believe that, say amen. Ephesians 4.30 puts it this way. Read it with me in a loud voice. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does it mean? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Well, there's something it tells you about God. Is that God has emotions. God can be grieved. And we can do things to grieve him. He's not this you know, emotionless machine or a statue that has a permagrin and is always smiling and doesn't have any thought or care about what you do and is completely oblivious to what you do. No, he's not some statue or you know, some idol in a temple where it's just always you know, looking at you with smiling eyes and, 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 and you can't even see because it, that person can't see or that statue can't see. No, see, God has real emotions and he is affected by what you do. And see, this is the thing. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know how God is grieved by your sin? Do you know how? See, a lot of people, they assume this. They think, oh yeah, God is grieved by my sin because he's so holy. And so when I say his name in vain, he's like, oh, how could you say? No, that's not what he does. See, God has heard every curse word there is over and over and over and over again. God sees every time you've lied or cheated or stolen or or done anything that you regret. He sees it all, and can he handle it? Yes, he can handle it. In fact, he handled that and then some when he took it all to the cross where Jesus died. But let me tell you, how does your sin affect God? Your sin affects God this way. Your sin grieves God not because your sin affects him. Your sin grieves God because of the way it affects you. Let me put it this way. The reason why God is grieved when you sin after you become a Christian is because of the effect it has on you. The lost confidence, the guilt, the shame, the lack of peace that he never intended you to experience. He wants you to be someone who is completely confident in his presence, who doesn't carry a burden or weight of shame and guilt anymore, that you have a heart that's soft and close to God. And when you sin and you don't repent of it, what happens is all that goes missing for a little bit. All that goes down, all that deteriorates because you've got an emotional relationship with God. And that's why it grieves God when you sin. It's not because of the way your sin affects him. It's because of the way your sin affects you. And he sees it and it grieves him because he loves you and he never intended for you to live that way. If you believe that, say amen. See, for example, at home, I've got a role. I've got a number of roles. Uh, When it comes to chores, uh, there are a couple things that I do. One is I am the dishwasher, all right? Uh, Pastor Charlene washes a lot of dishes herself as well, uh, but I do quite a few dishes. Uh, there's one more thing that I do, which is that I take the garbage out. I'm the garbage man in the home. Any garbage men or garbage people in this place right now who take the garbage out? Yeah, okay, okay, I'm with you. I feel your pain, yeah. And, and, and here's the thing, is that as a garbage man in the house, I know this, is that if for a long time I leave garbage unattended, if for a long time I leave garbage untouched and you know there's you know just I just don't attend to it I don't deal with it what's going to happen in the home it's going to stink up with garbage 
And it's going to be filled with more and more garbage. It's going to take up room in the house. You're going to have, you know, these cardboard boxes that are meant to be in recycling, but for some reason they're lying in the middle of the kitchen. You're going to have, you know, garbage spilling over, overflowing from every garbage can in the house, the washroom, the kitchen, you know, the, the, the office everywhere. And, and all of a sudden there's less room to, to move around. It stinks a little bit. And why do I mention that? It's because unrepented sin is like extra baggage and unwanted garbage that takes up room in your house. And if you leave it unattended, if you don't deal with it, it's going to stink up the house. And it's going to leave less room for the Holy Spirit who lives with you and in you to work in your life. Amen. But when you repent, when you deal with that garbage, when you deal with that sin, what you're doing is you are doing some house cleaning. You're clearing the air emotionally with God. You're taking spiritual garbage that is getting in the way of you and God, and you are throwing it out. You're saying, I'm going to put this in a place where it belongs, which is not in my house, but outside the house. Bye-bye. I'll see you later. Garbage man, please take it away. And see, when you do that, when you repent, you're practicing humility. When you repent, you're softening your heart toward God. When you, rep- when you repent, you're taking responsibility for your relationship with God. And when you repent, you're making room for Holy Spirit to work in your life again. You're getting rid of all the clutter so the Holy Spirit is free to move in your life again. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Let me tell you this. Could it be that the reason why you're not experiencing very much of God right now Could it be that the reason why you're lacking joy or confidence in your relationship with God? Could it be the reason why you're not growing in your relationship with God? Could it be that it's because even after receiving Jesus into your life, there are sins that you haven't repented of? And they're just kind of collecting dust in the house that is your relationship with God, and they're taking up room so that there's less room for the Holy Spirit to work in your life. You know, it's no wonder that the Bible tells not just non-Christians, but Christians to repent. It's because when you refuse to repent, it can restrict and it can even completely block your ability to experience more of God in your life. That's why when you read the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, there's this point where the first two, three chapters have Jesus talking to seven different churches. And you know what? These seven churches are all churches that believe in him. These seven churches are all forgiven of their sins. They all have Jesus as their savior. They all worship Jesus And yet, why is it that after receiving Jesus in their lives, Jesus speaks to five of those seven churches? And in addition to commending them for good things, he also says, well, but this is one thing, that's another thing that you need to repent of. Why is it that five of the seven churches Jesus tells to repent? It's because repentance was never meant to be a one-time thing. It was meant to be something that we do on an ongoing basis whenever we sin in the presence of God. If you believe that, say amen. You know, when I think for, for, about someone who experienced God through the power of repentance, there's one person I think about especially. It's a girl called Candy. I call her Candy because uh, she was just out of her, her protection. Um, but see, when Candy first started coming to church, Candy seemed like a very nice, normal girl. Very nice, normal girl. Uh, and, you know, eventually she came for, you know, uh, quite some time. And then one day she opened up her heart to Jesus. And she said, you know, I, I want to trust Jesus with my life. Candy got baptized. We baptized her. Uh, but, you know, soon after that, about a few months after we baptized her, Candy started to encounter some very interesting problems in her life. Uh, let me tell you a couple of those problems. Uh, when, whenever Candy would want to be prayed for, she would go to Pastor Charlene or myself, and, and whenever a pastor would pray for her, for some reason she was not able to hear the prayer. 
she was here, able to hear everything before the prayer, but not during the prayer. She was able to hear everything after the prayer, but not the prayer itself. But she, couldn't, she just couldn't hear the prayer. And so we'd be like, oh, can we pray for you, Candy? And then, and, and then Candy would be like, yeah, please. And we start praying for her in English, not in tongues, but in English. And she can't hear anything. In fact, she's just, she hears static. She hears... And, and until we say, in Jesus' name, amen, and then she can hear again. And, and she thought it was so strange. I remember there was even one time when we were praying for her uh, you know, over the phone, and we used speakerphone. And, you know, we, we said, hey, so Candy, if you're not able to hear us pray, could you just push some of the buttons and let us know so that we know that you're not able to hear? And so we're like, okay, dear Jesus, we pray for Candy. Beep, 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 beep. And, and she's crying as she's pushing these buttons because she's scared and she doesn't understand why she can't hear the prayers of her pastors. Incredible. Not just that, but you know, when she would be on her own at home, she would see these evil spirits. This is a baptized Christian. Baptized Christian. She would see these evil spirits. She lived on the second floor of her home and she would see these evil spirits poking their, their faces out of, their win- uh, out of the window and it freaked her out. And she's like, I don't understand. I don't know why this is happening. You know, one day, Pastor Shar and, and Candy, they, they sit down, they have a conversation. And Pastor Shar asks Candy, she says, Candy, are there some sins in your life that you haven't repented of? Are there people in your life that you haven't forgiven? And she said, no, no, I think I'm good. No, I, I can't think of anything. I'm, I'm good. The next day, she calls Charlene back, and she says, Candy says, um, Pastor Shar, I... I when I went home, I, I realized something, which is that you asked me, are there any people I haven't forgiven? Are there any sins I haven't confessed to God? And I just realized that there is. There, there's someone that hurt me really badly, but I can never forgive him. And, um, you know, she came over to our place, and for the next two, three hours, she started telling us about uh, what had happened, how, and I don't go into detail about it here, but, you know, I go into a bit more detail in our, our Thrive to Settle School Level 2 class but she, she just talked about how when she was just a few years younger than that, she had been hurt tremendously, uh, abused, um, in, and, and violated in a very, very horrible way. And, you know, how many of us know that we can't always control what people do to us, but we can often control how we respond to what people do. And, and unfortunately, this girl, Candy, she, she didn't uh, respond in all the healthy ways to those hurts that she uh, was inflicted. And, uh, you know, so there were people in her life that she had to forgive that she had not forgiven yet. There were sins that she'd held onto even after becoming a Christian that she still refused to repent of. And, you know, we decided, you know, do you, do you want to be free of these evil spirits? And do you want to be able to hear your pastor's prayers again, Candy? She's like, yes, I do. And so for the next two, three hours, she starts to repent one by one, of all these different sins that she had hung on to over those number of years. She starts naming them one by one, saying, God, I admit that I've sinned. I'm sorry, and I'm turning from this today with your help. And you know what happened? At the end of that time of prayer, she could hear our prayers again. We could pray for her, and she could hear, and she was crying, not because she's scared, but she's crying because she's so full of joy because she realizes that she can hear her, her pastors praying for her again. Give God a big, big hand for that. That's really, really cool. Amen. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Praise God. She went home. 
She couldn't see evil spirits anymore. In fact, rather than sensing evil spirits, she sensed the Holy Spirit living on the inside of her. She started to sense the peace of the Holy Spirit on her life. She started to rest and sleep so much better. She started to have less worry and anxiety in her heart because the Holy Spirit was in her. She started to sense the voice of the Holy Spirit nudging her and guiding her different ways. And it's all because she decided after so long, I need to to repent of certain sins that I've hung on to. And there's something we can learn from Candy's experience which is this, you can write this down. You can't experience much of God without repentance. You can't experience much of God without repentance. Repentance not just unlocks God's forgiveness, but repentance also unlocks your ability to experience more of him. I'm going to end today by talking about how can you and I experience more of God's hope through repentance. Has this been helpful so far? Why don't you write this down? Number one, if you want to experience more of God's hope through repentance, number one, take time to examine yourself. Take time to examine. Everyone say, examine myself. You know, when I was in college, I used to live by myself in a dorm room. And can I tell you this? My dorm room was kind of dirty. I didn't realize it at first. But when I'd have guests over, they'd be like, man, your place is a little dirty. And, um, you know, my mom especially, you know, she would be like, oh, let, let me help you clean this up, man, because this is not good. And, and you know, I, I found that well, started, I started kind of like cleaning up my own place and at first, I'm like, oh, this, is not, this place is not dirty. And, and I, I'm going to be cleaning a counter. But then the more I cleaned, the more I paid attention, the more I kind of started to examine my dorm, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is so dirty. And I, I, I said, oh, man, the counter needs cleaning. Oh, my goodness, the fridge is so dusty. Let me dust that off. Oh, my goodness, like the, the elements on the stove. Uh, I can't believe I've let that sit there for a while. That, 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 that stain looks like it has eyes and a mouth now. Uh, you know, like I, I, I went to the bathroom. I'm like, oh, my goodness, are those spiders or are those cockroaches? I'm not really too sure. And, and, and I, I'd, be, I'd be kind of you know, cleaning that all up. And, um, you know, I, I'm, you know that, that's the, I'm, I'm giving you a slightly exaggerated version of it. But the fact is this. The fact is this is that at first I didn't really really realize how dirty my house was until I started to examine it. Has that ever happened to you before? It's like, you're, at first you're just like, oh, everything's fine, everything's good, but then it's only when you kind of get down on a lower level, on a deeper level, and you start to really examine, you're like, oh my goodness, there's actually a lot that needs to happen here. Look at 2 Corinthians 13.5 with me right now. Read it in a loud voice. One, two, three, it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. I want to say examine yourselves. Look at Haggai 1, 3 to 5 with me. What does it say? It says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you to yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Haggai's telling the people of Israel, you got to give careful thought to your ways. Examine yourselves. You have these, all these beautiful homes that you guys live in, and yet you allow your church to live in a ruin. Give careful thought to your ways. He's saying examine yourselves. I want to say examine yourselves. To help you examine yourself today, because I'm not here just to give you information, but I'm here to lead you to a transformation in Jesus Christ. I want to do a simple exercise with you guys right now. And it's a private exercise between you and God, uh, but I want to do this right now. I'm going to name a few sins, just a few sins that the Bible talks about and that very likely men of us struggle with. And by going through this list, I think you're going to get a better sense of how holy God is and if there are any sins that you need to repent of today. Here are a few of them. I'm just going to go through them one by one. And you can ask yourself, do I relate to this? Here's the first one, lying. When I don't keep my word, when I don't keep my promises, when I, you know, stretch the truth to make myself look better, when I cheat on my taxes, that's, that's lying. When I'm jealous, when I envy other people for what they have, when I'm not thankful for what I have, 
when I complain about all that's negative and wrong in my life and I don't recognize the blessings that I have, that is sin. How about selfishness? It's when you put yourself in front of others. You say, I'm more important than that person or I don't care what that person thinks. I'm just going you know, to do things the way I want to do them. That's selfishness or self-centeredness. Losing my temper. Have you lost your temper recently? Where you just had an outburst, lost control, you know, you had just this angry explosion, or you know, you, you threw something, you just you swore at someone, you lost your temper, you lost control. The Bible calls that sin. Here's another one: speaking unkind words, when you criticize others unfairly, when you curse them, when when you complain, when you gossip about others, when you speak negatively about others in, in gossiping ways, when you when you enjoy listening to gossip and you participate in it, that is what the Bible calls sin. How about hateful thoughts? It's when you refuse to forgive someone that you hurt you, who hurt you, when you hold grudges against them, when you cast judgment on people who are a little bit different from you are. That's also what the Bible calls sin. Here's another one, lust. Is it when you harbor sexual thoughts about someone that you're not married to? The Bible calls that sin. How about having sex with someone that you're not married to? The Bible calls that sin. You know, that may, it doesn't matter if that person's your girlfriend, your boyfriend, uh, a, a stranger, a neighbor. But the fact is, if you're not married to that person, that is called sexual immorality. That's called sin, according to God's word. Another one is pride. You might be like, oh, you know, it's my body. I can do whatever I want with it. I don't care. Well, if, you, if that's you, then you know what? You struggle with something else. It's called pride. It's where, you know, it's like, it's, I don't care what other people think. I don't care what God says. I'm just going to do things my way. And it's like my world revolves around me. That is pride. You struggle with pride. Pride is a sin. There's also something called worry. Why is worry a sin? Worry is a sin because worry is failing to trust God that he'll take care of you. Worry is a sin because what you're doing is you're saying, God, my problem is bigger than you. You're not greater than my problem. My problem is greater than you. And what is that? That is a form of idolatry. And in fact, it's a form of blasphemy because you're telling God something that is not true about who he is. See, worry is a sin. Another one, when I don't do the good that I know I should do. <laughs> the Bible calls that sin. Is that, forget all the other things that we just talked about, but if there is a time when you knew that you should have done something, but you didn't do it, and maybe others also didn't do it, guess what? The Bible calls that sin as well. This is a very small list of sins. Very, very small. There's so many more that the Bible talks about, but my question for you today, even at looking at this very short list, is are there sins in your life that you need to bring to God? Is there spiritual garbage that you need to clean out of your house so that you can experience more of God today. See, when it comes to sin, sometimes we're so in love with ourselves that we're not really that aware when there is sin in our lives. We're not that sin conscious. And that's why, in addition to just examining yourself, it helps also do one more thing, which is ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Everyone say, ask the Holy Spirit. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says it this way. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, sometimes when Pastor Charlene and I have uh, an argument, and you know, sometimes from time to time we'll, have, we'll get into conflicts, sometimes you know, she and I will both go into our own separate places and we will just do the sit down in front of God and we'll just ask God, God, search my heart. Is there anything that I said that I shouldn't have said? Is there anything that I've done that I shouldn't have done? And when we do that, when we ask the Holy Spirit to search our heart, we ourselves might have thought, I've done nothing wrong. But then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, oh, nudge you a little bit and say, oh, maybe you shouldn't have said that. And when we do that, we are able to come back together again, apologize, repent, and find our emotional relationship a lot more restored. It's because the Holy Spirit plays a role in your life, which is to help you search 
your heart. Last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit nudges you, how he nudges you to spend more time with him. The Holy Spirit nudges you another way, which is he nudges you when there's sin that you need to repent of. Have you ever felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit to repent of sin? You know, two years ago, we were fasting and praying as a church. And I invited uh, people at the prayer meeting that we were at to privately confess their sins to God. And what I did was I had a list of sins and uh, just started reading them out, kind of similar to what I just did with you right now, but there's a lot more of them. And I just, I just started listing them each out. And there was a lady in this prayer meeting who repented of so many of these sins, but she told me that, you know, there was one sin that she could not repent of. And that sin was bitterness that she harbored toward a relative who'd hurt her numerous times in the past. And she said, no, I, I can't forgive that person. I can't. I just can't. Later that night, she's driving back home, and she feels a nudge from the Holy Spirit to say, you need to repent of that. You need to let that go. That, that, that thing, that sin is taking up room in our relationship, and you need to let that go. And so that night, she prayed a prayer. Said, she said, you know, God, I'm sorry for harboring this, this grudge, and I let it go today. I confess it to you. I thank you for your forgiveness. And she went to bed. And you know what happened? The next morning, she receives a call for the first time in five years from this relative that she had just forgiven. For the first time in five years. They had not been in contact for five years. And the next morning, this relative calls her and says, hey, can we talk? Incredible. And you know, they, they got together for lunch. Uh, this was during the fast, but we forgive her. No worries. You know, because that, that, that was an important time. She, she, she had lunch with her. They, sh- they shared deeply from their past, and their relationship was restored in a very, very important way. It's an amazing thing. It goes to show that when you take the time to examine your heart and you give the Holy Spirit room to search your heart and to work in your life, he works in amazing ways. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. God works in amazing ways. And you know what, this story is also a really good reminder that one of the best ways that you can examine yourself, one of the best ways you can make room for the Holy Spirit to search your heart is to do something called fasting and praying. And, you know, you're going to find that in many ways in the Bible, fasting and repentance go hand in hand. You can repent without fasting, but the thing is fasting aids your repentance. It's because when you fast, you're giving God more room to work in your life. When you fast, you're giving more time to examine and reflect on your life. When you fast, you are starting to see, and God helps you to see how much you've been depending on other things and other people besides him. When you fast, you start to see how much you need God in your life. And so if you have trouble examining yourself or you realize that there's maybe some stuff in your life that you need to work through or you realize that there's stuff that you know, maybe you have been ignoring for a while and you need God's help to, to deal with it, then one of the best things you can do this coming month is to fast fast and to pray with your church. Amen. Amen. You know, in the Bible, fasting and repentance go hand in hand. you got people like David, Nehemiah, Samuel, Ezra, Esther, Jesus, Paul, Barnabas. They all use times of fasting to examine themselves and get guidance from the Holy Spirit, and they would lead others in their care to do the same. It's because fasting aids us in our repentance. And that's why, if you haven't signed up yet for our coming fast from March 19 to March 21, there is something I want to tell you to do today, is to sign up for our God and Me experience fast. Twice a year as a church, we fast together, and we do it once in March. We do it another time in August, and we often find that when we take time as a church to fast and pray together, God works in amazing ways. If you believe that, say amen. 
Amen. I shared with you one story from a couple years ago where that lady uh, you know, received an incredible amount of uh, you know, God's blessing uh, as she fasted. We're going to talk to you about a few others. Here's some more testimonies from our last fast that we did together. Uh, this is what one person wrote. They said, through the fast, I was able to focus more on God. I learned to rely on him by praying throughout the day. Instead of thinking of ways to solve problems on my own, I would ask God first. During work hours, I learned to pray short prayers with my eyes open. That's good. That's very, very good. Praise God. Another person said, during the fast, I felt more calm and relaxed, and I felt warm and happy whenever I was praying to God. Another person wrote, the best part of the fast was a day when I fasted all three meals and really just focused on God without any distractions from food or social media. I had an awesome time just praying, asking God to fill me with strength and a heart for him and being still in his presence. I sensed his peace and his strength through the times of hunger. I also sensed God reminding me to focus my eyes on him more and to trust in him more, knowing that he has a plan and will lead me to what he wants me to do for my career. That's what another person wrote during their fast. Another person wrote during the fast, whenever I prayed, I felt his presence. And when I surrendered to him and gave my burdens to him, I felt a weight come off my shoulders. Finally, there's one person who wrote, God spoke to me while I was praying and waiting in his presence during the fast. I sensed his voice speaking to me and I completely surrendered myself to him. And now I know that it's him who's leading me, not myself. Can we give God a big hand for all the ways that God works through our times of prayer and fasting? And with that in mind, I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet, to sign up for our God and Me Experience Fast. It's really simple. All you have to do, number one, is fill out this card that is on your chair right now. Give us your email, and we're going to be emailing you a guide on fasting and how to fast safely and effectively. Number two is we're going to send you emails every day of the fast where it's going to give you a scripture you can read, uh, you know, a song you can listen to, a prayer that you can pray. Uh, number three is instead of eating, you're going to use that time to pray and to fast and to draw near to God. And I encourage you, if you've done the fast before, to challenge yourself. Turn your neighbor and say, challenge yourself. All right? So, so you know, for, for those of you who've done the fast before, maybe you fasted one day. Try fasting two days this time. Try, not, try to do more than just one day if you can, uh, because we uh, find that what you put in is often a measure of what you get out as well. So sign up for the, for, the, for the game fast. Number four is join Thrive for our nightly prayer meetings. From Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday of that fast, we're going to be meeting together as a church to pray together. Many people often say that's the best part of the fast. It's why? It's a chance for us to draw near to God. It's a chance for God to get more room in our lives to work. It's a chance for us to examine ourselves. It's a chance for the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. And it's a chance, a chance for us to experience the, the hope and the power and the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. Come on, give God a big, big hand if you're excited about our God and the experience fast. Give God a big shout in this place right now as well. Can you do that together right now? Praise God. Will you guys sign up for the God and the experience fast? Will you do that, church? Let's do this together. We're in this together, and we're going to experience God together in powerful ways when we fast together. So sign up for this. Even start filling out this card right now and get ready to hand that in in just a minute. Two, number two, if you want to experience God's hope through the power of repentance, number two, confess your sin to God and receive his forgiveness. In other words, once you realize that there is sin in your life, don't just say, oh, okay, oh, well, okay, that's my life. I'll just carry this burden. No. See, you want to confess it to God. Say, confess it to God. 
Because until you confess it to God, until you repent, it's going to be this burden, this weight on your shoulders that God never intended you to carry. He, he went to the cross to carry your burdens so, so that you wouldn't have to carry it. And so if you've noticed that there's a sin in your life, you've examined yourself, and you're like, oh yeah, that time. Yeah, you can confess to God. Say, God, I confess that time when I you know, looked at pornography. I confess that time when I, I, I lost my temper at that person. I confess that time. And you just say, God, I know it was wrong. I feel bad. And I ask you right now to, to, to help me to turn to you. When you do that, that is called repentance. Amen. And once you confess that sin, once you've repented that way, don't dwell on it anymore. Stop beating yourself up. Stop feeling you have to earn God's love. Stop thinking, oh, God doesn't love me. Instead, after you confess, you simply receive God's forgiveness by faith. Amen. Everyone say, by faith. Oh, but I don't feel forgiven, JB. It doesn't matter because forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a gift you receive by faith in the promises of God. You receive it by faith. Oh, but JB, oh, God can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. Let me tell you this. People who say that, the fact is when you say that, what are you doing? You're saying, oh, God's standards are not as high as mine. Are you kidding me? God's standards are so much higher than yours. And if God can forgive you, you can certainly do the same. Don't, because of pride or fear, say, oh, God can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself because all you're doing is you're hurting yourself. All you're doing is keeping you from experiencing more of God. Some of us, we get so used to living with our burden and our shame that we get comfortable with it. And, and we're just like, oh, you know, like maybe I'll just live this way the rest of my life. And the moment there's a little bit of hope, we just still go, oh, no, I'm so comfortable this way. It's actually not that bad of a burden. No, 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 no. God made you to live with a hope that is stronger than your mistakes. Amen. God made you to live not with a burden of guilt and shame, but a burden of peace that is light because Jesus Christ loves you and he came for you. Give God a big, big hand in this place right now. That's what Jesus came to do. It's about giving it to God. See, maybe the reason why you lack joy or you lack hope or you lack peace or you lack passion in your relationship with God is simply because you've never received his forgiveness by faith. To this day, you're still beating yourself up for what you did when you've already confessed it and God has already forgiven you. And so stop, stop beating yourself up and receive by faith the forgiveness that Jesus won on the cross for you because God's forgiveness is greater than our mistakes. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Praise God. Turn your neighbor and say, receive it by faith. Receive it by faith. Number three, number three, run with your repentance. See, run with your repentance. What does that mean? See, Say you've, you've realized there's a sin in your life you need to deal with. You acknowledge that sin with your head. You feel sorry for it in your heart. And you move with your feet. You say, I'm going to turn from that sin. I'm turning to you, Jesus, for your help and for your forgiveness. You've repented. But now, run with it. In other words, when I say run with repentance, what I mean is live in a way that's consistent with your repentance. You know, so that you're not going back to what you were doing before. Make decisions that will help you live that new and transformed life in Christ. The, the, you know, Ma- Ma- Matthew chapter 3 verse 8 puts it this way. It says this. It says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? Is live after you've repented, after you've gone to God. Now start living your life in a way that's going to help you live in a new direction. Amen. Amen. What are some things you can do to run with your repentance? Well, one thing you can do, a very important thing, a very simple thing, a very initial thing that you can do is get baptized. Is get baptized. Everyone say get baptized. 
get baptized. Getting baptized is simply being dunked in water as a way to say, I need a Savior. His name is Jesus. That's one way that you can run with your repentance. It's a simple thing. It's not a graduation. It is a beginning. And it's what God calls every person to do if they've received Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's a way to confirm for yourself, yes, I really do believe in Jesus. Yes, I've really trusted my Savior. Yes, I believe in him getting baptized. Look at Acts 2, 38 with me right now. What does it say? It says, Acts 2, verse 38 says, Peter replied, repent. Church, are you guys with me right now? Let's read it together. One, two, three, it says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. Those are the first two things that we are called to do, and that's how we receive the salvation and forgiveness that is given to us by God. It's we repent and we get baptized. Number two, ask for forgiveness from others you have hurt. See, when you sin, it doesn't just affect you. And it doesn't just affect your relationship with God. It affects those around you. Maybe there's someone today that you've hurt very badly. And the next thing you need to do to run with your repentance is to go to that person and say, what I did was wrong. And I'm so, so, so sorry. And I am, I, I, I've committed to never doing that again with God's help. Some of you, maybe that's the next thing that God is calling you to do, is to go to that person you hurt and just ask for forgiveness. Look at James chapter 5 verse 16. What does it say? It says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Lastly, if you want to run with your repentance, it's about taking practical steps to not repeat the same offense again. It's about saying, okay, it happened once or it happened a few times before. I want to make some real practical decisions to help me not go in that same direction again. It's about taking practical steps. Maybe it's about finding an accountability partner to say, hey, can you just check up on me a little bit on this area because I'm a bit weak in this area. Maybe it's about, you know, turning off your phone or your computer by a certain hour of the day. Maybe it's about, uh, you know, making some adjustments in who you hang out with or how you hang out with them. It's about taking practical steps so that you don't repeat the same sin again. Look at Luke chapter 3 verse 8. Luke chapter 3 verse 8. Do we have that? It says, prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Stop right there. It's not you trying to earn God's forgiveness. It's not you trying to work your way to God, but it's you running with your repentance. You are forgiven. You are accepted. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. Now let's run with it and let's live the life that God had always called us to live. If you believe that, say amen. Last verse for today as we close, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Let's say it together right now in a big, loud voice. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Can we give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place right now? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Because God loves you, he makes repentance something that we can do. Because God loves you, he's a God of second chances and third chances and 500 chances. Because he loves you, because he doesn't want you to live with the burden you've been carrying all this time. Because he wants to live with the peace and the joy that come from being forgiven and free. It's because Jesus Christ came because he's a God who welcomes us to repent to him whenever we sin so we can have a healthy relationship with God. Come on, give God a big, big hand, a big shout in this place right now. I say give God a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. 
Stand up to your feet and turn to your neighbor. Tell them to give them a high five and say, I'm so glad we got Jesus. Tell someone else, Jesus loves you so much. Tell someone else, he never gives up on you. Praise God. Praise God. Has it been helpful this morning? Such an important topic. You guys were a little quiet in those times when you're supposed to be quiet. You were loud, we're supposed to be loud. I commend you guys for that. Because repentance is not an easy topic to talk about, but it's one of the most important things we can do. It's one of the most precious things we can do. And so right now, I'm going to ask you to do this right now, is with every head bowed and every eye closed, we want to just give you an opportunity right now to experience more of God, to experience His hope through repentance. See, today we learned that the way to experience God's hope after we've sinned is through repentance. It's admitting that we've sinned. It's feeling sorry sincerely for that sin. And saying to God, God, with your help, I want to live a new life. I want to go in a new direction. So my question for you as your heads are bowed today, is there a sin you need to repent of today? Is there a sin that you've been hanging on to that God is saying, let go of that burden? Let go of it. If so, then I want to give you an opportunity to confess your sins to God. I want to give you an opportunity to repent of those sins right now. And I'm going to do this right now. If you, if you know that there's a sin in your life that you need to repent of today, I'm going to count to three. And just where you are, don't worry about what your neighbor's doing. This is between you and God. Why don't you just raise your hand to God and count of three. I'm just going to respond to God in this place through confession and repentance right now. Is there anyone who needs to confess their sins to God today? Is there anyone who needs to repent of their sins today? On the count of three, why don't you raise your hand? We're going to do that together right now. One, two, three. Why don't you raise your hands to God right now? Just raise your hands to heaven right now. Raise your hands because he loves you. Raise your hands because he's with you. Raise your hands because he's listening. Right now, from your heart, I'm going to invite you to just pray and just ask God. Just come and say, admit to God, God, I, I confess my sin to you. Confess my sin to you. Whatever sin that might be, just start talking to God from your heart right now. In your own words, just start talking to God right now. Say, Lord, I admit that I've sinned. God, I admit that I've sinned. Just be specific about that sin. Maybe it's a number of sins. Just start talking to God right now. Don't worry about your neighbor. You just start talking to God right now. You start talking to God right now. You start talking to God right now. He loves you. He loves you. Just start admitting your sin to him right now. Say, God, I admit my sin to you right now. I confess my sin. I acknowledge it. I'm sorry for it. And I'm turning from it today with your help. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. That's it, church. Confess your sins. Confess your sins. Repent today. He's faithful and just and will forgive you your sins. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the God we serve. Just repent of sin today. Repent of sin today. Repent of sin today. He loves you. His mercy is greater than your mistakes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. Praise you, God. Why don't you pray this prayer with me right now? Say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I've sinned by, and then you just fill in the blank, whatever way that you've sinned against God, whatever way you've sinned against others, we just go ahead and start repenting of that right now. Just confess it. And why don't you say this with me? Say, God, I'm sorry for the way that my sin hurt our relationship. And I'm also sorry for the way my sin has hurt others. I don't want any sin to get in the way of my relationship with you. And so today, I repent. I turn to you and away from that sin. And I ask with your help that I would not go back that same way again. In Jesus' name, I receive your forgiveness. 
Holy Spirit, come into my life. Be my Savior and be my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Give God a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. That's repentance. It's as simple as that. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you've never prayed that prayer before, then guess what? You're a Christian now. Guess what? You're a child of God now. Guess what? You're forgiven of your sins now and forever. Guess what? You have a brand new start in Jesus. Can we give God a big, big hand, a big shout in this place right now? Come on, give God a big shout.